Do they owe us a reading? Course they do. Course they do. They owe us a reading. Course they do. Course they do. They owe us a reading. Course they fucking do. What up, Burley Fisher crew? Big up all the people in the house. I'm your host, Dan Fuller, joined today by Ant, the big man. How you doing, Ant? What's up? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Dan? Yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, I think, like, I, yeah, I think we've kind of, like, run out of what are you doing with your isolation uh, yeah. content. That's How many kind cups of... of tea have you had today? <laughs> <laughs> that's all dead and buried. Much like many people during the Black Death. <laughs> the Black Death, 1348. <laughs> um, which is our topic of conversation today. Uh, we are joined by the wonderful Dr. Matt Green, who is a friend of the shop and a historian and broadcaster, who has joined us to try and put this COVID-19 panic in a little bit of context and slightly scare the shit out of us as well. <laughs> yeah. he, he has a great ability to do that. There's a, there's a nice balance, so also very warm and gentle. So he's a uh, yeah, he's a good balance of both. He's got a great radio voice. So yeah, that's what the episode is about. It's about the plague, the Black Death, and kind of strange parallels to uh, what's happening with us today in with COVID and all of that shebang. Mm. A bit of a then and now kind of thing. Yeah, that's 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 the vibe we were going for. So we're going to stop chatting rubbish because I know you guys don't really like to hear it. Uh, <laughs> we've, had, we've had complaints. We have had complaints. We have had complaints. Right. And we're going to go straight into a reading, which is from a crow's eye perspective of Black Death London. Okay, so Matt, thank you so much for joining us and being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I figured we could get this discussion started by talking a little bit about kind of how we can contextualise the current world historic events that we're all living through. Because for a lot of people in like worldwide, this is completely unprecedented. They don't really know kind of how to think about it, how to experience it, or what to expect. But this is not the first time that something like this has happened to the human race. That's right. It certainly is not. And uh, the good news is, um, if you go back to the first major global pandemic that mm -hmm. we know about, um, that would be what they refer to as the Great Death. Um, subsequently, it's become known as the Black Death. I think mm -hmm. because of the bubos, the, the tokens of the plague. Um, but the Great Death struck medieval Europe in 1348. And before we talk about the similarities, I think the, the key crucial contrast to remember is that the death rate of the Great Death was 50%. And um, if you just compute that, it's thought mm -hmm. currently now the death rate of COVID-19 is something about like 1%, it's very yeah. hard to tell mm. the, the, the 
much testing and actually probably many more people have had it than think they've had it. So it could actually be more like, I don't know, um, 0.5% or less. But if you just imagine there was a time when half of the population of the world pretty much um, mm -hmm. dropped out dead. Uh, no one would have known anyone who hadn't died. Um, and uh, then, then you can see that you're dealing with something of a different order of magnitude. Uh -huh. um, that said, uh, there's a lot of very eerie similarities as well. Hopefully some of the stuff that happens during the Black Death isn't, isn't going to repeat itself. <laughs> really, I mean, we're seeing a few things that are, but hopefully not. But on a more positive note, there the, the, the was a sort of brave new economic order uh, yeah. that emerged from the ruins. And I, I think we could potentially see something similar coming out of this pandemic. Can we just quickly um, touch on the eerie similarities that yeah. sort of run through these two, two events? Because, Well, the Black Death began in China, Cafe, as they called it, in the 14th century. And it was a very sort of disquieting time to be alive in Britain because all these stories were filtering in from the Far East. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they were sort of suffused with apocalyptic elements. So they heard about this devastating disease, this cloud of poison, as they saw it, that was scudding across. But it was also mixed with stories of you know, tsunamis and you know, planets exploding and falling into mm -hmm. the sea, double-headed mm -hmm. dragon. Um, just a, a general sense of unease. And yeah. it got closer and closer and closer, just like we were watching. And, and people were very hubristic. They were like, it's never going to get to... Britain, this is just God's way of punishing the heathen. Uh -huh. um, that was all fine and dandy until the cloud of poison got to Europe, much of which was Catholic. So they're like, okay, well, you know, we're still the chosen ones. Um, <laughs> and of course, it, it eventually lodged over London in the spring of 1348. And mm -hmm. the other eerie similarities, I think there's the idea of society grinding to a halt, which is essentially mm -hmm. what now and it's, it's it's unprecedented outside of wartime that happened back then you know all the kind of mellifluous stool holders fell silent london was you know like a cacophonous explosion and it was suddenly completely stilled people uh -huh. were quarantined for 40 days with all their family if they showed tokens of the plague the rich ran for the hills not so much second houses in wales back then but you know mansions <laughs> highgate and and and, and further afield there was yeah. a climate of fear, of course, uncertainty, whereas today I think the uncertainty is about how long is this thing going to go on for? Like, when are we going to get back to normal? Are we ever going to get back to normal? Like, how mm -hmm. is it? We just lift the, the lockdown. Is it not just going to resurge? But back then, mm -hmm. it was more about what caused it. And yeah. uh, they, they had a general sense that it was punishment for sin. And it's very strange uh -huh. if you read it priest notebooks that just say how can we stop getting this thing this thing, stop sinning but there was um <laughs> much disagreement about god's sort of means of delivery the delivery mechanism you know was it contagious was it in the air or was it spread by dogs and cats which they were very worried they rounded up the dogs and cats in their tens of thousands and bludgeoned them to death <laughs> and threw them in the rivers you know the, the cats and a tiger indeed got diagnosed with covid so but we don't blame the animals but they uh, did. And then, you know, this idea of how, how you could build a better society when the whole thing was was over, you know, mm -hmm. already we're beginning to, we, we, we basically have a, a little dose of Tory socialism, which no one ever thought would happen. No. Um, I, I, I think, think it's the virus has exposed so many shortcomings with, with, 
the society and the economy. I mean, homelessness was just ended overnight in London. Yeah. The government yeah. housed people. So it's actually shown where there's a will, there is a way in, in contradiction to all this ideology that we've been spun. You know, it, the minute it threatens comfortably well-off people, they will move heaven and earth. And I think it would be very hard to go back to a status quo that completely you know, disadvantages the dispossessed. Just like after the Second World War, when you have collective suffering, yeah. people are not going to accept going back. It, it was like that after the Great Death, because you just uh -huh. imagine you've killed one out of two people, um, but the landlord still needs their land tilling. The harvest still has to be done, or they will become destitute. So the demands for labour is massively outstripped supply. So they want mm -hmm. the work done people to do it so all the peasants are able to double their wages triple their wages buy land become more prosperous i think between 1350 and 1450 the average farm laborers wage went up doubled and then yeah. remained stagnant for the 19th century well, and then yeah. you, get, you get little things like people start channeling this surplus wealth into the fashion industry and people start wearing beautifully colored extravagant tight clothing so the government tries to limit what you can wear based upon your social class. Um, and, and, and it all comes to a head with things like the Peasants' Revolt, but, but, but there is a shift towards this brave new economic world. And mm -hmm. you know, already we're seeing things like universal basic income discussed more, um, yeah. with more credibility and, and, and you know, who, who knows what will come out of it. So, so those are the eerie similarities. Mm. Yeah, um, so something that really struck me um, when you were talking about the kind of news slowly filtering west, uh, most likely I would imagine a, a kind of trader's pace across the Silk Road. Yeah, yeah. Was, was the amount of disinformation that was being spread? I just think you said something about planets falling into the seas and, and all kinds of weird apocalyptic omens. Because we're seeing this happening in the online space now, but clearly at a much, much faster pace. So that, that kind of that that really struck me as something quite interesting because there was there was there was talk in the early days of this, you know, that said, OK, now we're all suddenly trusting experts and so on and so on. And there seemed to be a brief moment where that was the case. And then suddenly everyone's locked down and the Internet and it's exquisite ability for disinformation really it's 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 yes. head again yeah. but you know we also have um these conspiracy theories about 5g towers and mm -hmm. sickness and you know um yeah other other wild kind of explanations for the illness so well the 5g thing is amazing i mean i think i, I almost i think about a third of the population believe that it's it's not just a mm. sort of completely like esoteric thing believed by a tiny number of people. I mean, it's like a lot of, like I know people who passionately believe it, mm. you know, a sense of population extermination and Boris being in intensive care as a kind of cover for something even more sinister. Mm. And um, yeah, b back in the day, it was obviously the, the medium was different. They mm. were generally illiterate populations. So, so much of it was conveyed by word of mouth and yeah. that, as a medium that's peculiarly susceptible, you know, spin, just falsehoods, um, flights of fancy being added to it. And also in those days, pe people didn't expect news to be true in, in quite in the same way that well, perhaps mm. we don't 
anymore. But back then, you know, I, I studied the history of the media and some of the earliest, they were more like sort of broadside ballads, but they had news in them and, and, and pamphlets. And it'd be things like news, news from the dead or like news from Mars or like the Dragon Gazette. And, and the word novel comes from that because they just wanted a new dose. No, no one was particularly bothered if it, it conformed to 100% accuracy. They got the fundamentals right. There was a horrific disease. They didn't have a clue mm-hmm. what it was. No idea how it spread. And yes, news of this was relayed via Italian merchants who, who ventured beyond the Black Sea and spoke to Persian merchants. You know, actually, th- those merchants were instrumental in spreading it west. We, we now think we know what caused the Black Death. It was the Yersinia pestis bacterium, which was spread by fleas, which rode on mm. rat- ratus, which is the European black rat. And when the rats died, uh, the fleas needed a new host. And if you were in cramped, crowded accommodation, you could easily leap onto a human host. That that would then almost cripple your immune system. And, and, and these buboes, which were like nutmeg-shaped hardened balls of pus, would, would emerge in your, your neck and your groin and your armpits. And that, that was a sign you had pretty high chance of dying. But it could also mutate into the pneumonic plague, which got into your lungs, much more like COVID. Um, much higher death rate. There wasn't really much you could do. And the nastiest of all was the septicemic plague, whereby the bacteria would actually infect your blood vessels. So if you had that, you'd actually see your skin rotting. And, and it's thought that that's one of the sources of the zombie myth. The, the, oh, the wow. Myth. Yes. So they, and, and of course, it, it was a disease. It was, it was all curable by penicillin, but they didn't know that. They didn't have that at the time. Um, mm. And there was very little... They could do, and, and this whole thing about it being caused by sin, you know, it, it, it's, it was confusing because people started asking the clergy awkward questions like, well, why are babies dying? You know, how, yeah. how could a female <laughs> baby like, be a, a vehicle of sin? And then they were like, oh, well, maybe it's because it would have grown up into a sinful person. Mm. And then they're like, well, how, like, everyone knows the guy down the road is a rapist or a robber. Like, why is he not dying? And, <laughs> and, and they didn't really have answers to that but they did they did they were united and because we see disease and suffering you know rightly so as a bad thing in the middle ages it was seen as a good thing because it purified your soul moved you towards repentance and penance and and therefore it could justifiably be painted as as god's way of actually saving people in the next wow. life by making them take stock of their sins by repenting by becoming shriven and having the correct kind of burial getting them to heaven but of course the problem was the, the, the living were outnumbered by the dead. And you had yeah. this frightening... I mean, I saw that there was a makeshift morgue that had been put up in uh, Westminster and elsewhere. Mm. They had that back then, except they would literally just gouge these huge pits into the earth on the peripheries of London. I saw the other day that the government were building a makeshift morgue in Westminster, I think it was, and um, indeed all over the country. And they've stipulated you're not allowed more than 10 people to attend the funerals. And that, that's a, a more sort of sanitized version of what you got in the Middle Ages and beyond, which was huge rustic pits would be gouged into the earth mm-hmm. uh, beyond the city because um, there simply weren't enough living to bury the dead. And uh, each night you'd have the rumbling dead carts, which would, you know, its wheels would be bumping along on the cobbles and, and the man would be ringing a bell and shouting, like, bring out your dead. And, and they would go to the edge of these frightening lantern-framed pits and just shoot the bodies in. And you could see the useless amulets and the kind of abracadabra triangles that everybody would be wearing. And um, 
indeed, some people recently have been trying to spread the disease deliberately, almost like as a prank on YouTube. People have been like licking supermarket shelves and stuff. And that kind of thing went on as well, if we're to believe Daniel Defoe, who, who wrote about people who would just be running through the streets and kissing everyone they could see and leaping into these pits and screaming out about death and then just waiting to be taken um, in, in what one Italian chronicler described these pits as a macabre lasagna, um, <laughs> except instead of having layers between the meats, if we can call dead bodies meat, you had earth instead. So, it, you know, as you can imagine, it was raw and, and, and seared into the, you know, people's minds forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's mm-hmm. kind of phony at the minute because a lot of us, I mean, yes, we're stuck at home, but we're, we're not seeing the, the mayhem mm. firsthand yeah. uh, pop through mm. TV and then it's that removed so it does feel different um, just quickly like um, to go back to the the spread of various rumours there was that David Icke interview that was put up on YouTube about how COVID-19 has been framed by mainstream media and uh, I think he touched on the 5G thing but he, he very much cuts this figure of, of like a kind of makeshift almost preacher of the antithesis yeah. of mainstream media and I was just wondering in, in the time, you know, 1348 were there similar figures who were sort of spreading other stories and making up their own narratives? Um, in in 1348 it's it's very hard to say um, mm-hmm. because the chroniclers did, didn't really speculate about that kind of thing. I mean, I mean the, the freelance preachers these were people who almost fell into the vacuum um, that was created when the regular clergy left, because mm-hmm. although it was their job to you know, save people's souls, they all just ran for the hills uh, yeah. as soon as they could. They didn't really want to stay around and die themselves. What a surprise. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's, it's not really a shock <laughs> for human nature, I guess. So you get maverick preachers who were just basically kind of scaremongers and mm-hmm. um, they would just go from village to village and really own the Black Death and just sort of make out that they knew the extent of it. Um, and they would paint these these tableaus of horror, these kind of Boschian narratives of what was going to become of the world, how the world was going to be reduced to a sort of infinite desert of ruin and fireballs and horrific things like that. Um, and then everyone would be sort of weeping and eagerly saying, well, what can we do? How do we ward this off? And they'd be like, well, you can't. There's nothing you can do. You're all doomed. Um, so you better, you know, embrace it. And, and then they would just go along to the next village to terrify people. Um, later on, when, when the plague comes back in the 17th century, as it had done intermittently in the interim, then yes, it does get blamed to some degree on the enemies of Britain. So on French Catholics, they mm-hmm. get blamed um, a little bit. The Jewish people will, will be blamed, um, but not really in the sense of you, you've got these shock jocks, the, you, like the guy you were just mentioning. And th- there wasn't such a powerful thing as the 5G theory, which has gained a lot of traction. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it was much more suffused in religion. Um, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I'm surprised that I would have thought we'd have more you know, people running around and saying this is God's punishment, this is God's virus, or like in the 17th mm. century, you had a lot of astrologers and wizards who would go around and, you know, for the right price, they'd predict how long you had left to live. Um, that kind of spiritual <laughs> <laughs> And cults as well, like, like in um, The Leftovers, that TV series where 5% of the world vanishes and how humanity oh, yeah, 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 deals. Yeah. A bit like that. We haven't really had the cults yet, but I, I'm sure something will come out of it, if not here, then somewhere else. Isn't Dan starting a cult in Bedford at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, the cult's in the pipeline. Um, 
We'll see. Right. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's quite difficult to start a cult when uh, you're diligently observing lockdown. So um, we'll we'll give it a few, we'll give it a while. We need to get uh, the disease and then have the antibodies. So it could be like a survivor's cult. And you oh yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so the, the, the religion thing's really interesting in that this was pre-Protestant Europe. So it was everyone was more or less Catholic unless you got kind of east far east enough so there was kind of one sort of like unified like i guess you could say metaphysics or uh epistemology or whatever whereas this kind of time we're living in today there are so many different competing like epistemological ideas about uh what the world is what what metaphysics are uh how to interpret politics how to interpret disease i think you know like I think it's incredible that even now there are still people going online advocating for anti-vaccine arguments. So to kind of talk more about contrast, we're kind of in a very different place in terms of how like the average human perceives the world. You know, when, like you said, these kind of newsletters that were spread or you'd have kind of freelance preachers coming around, you know, now your aunt's kind of trawling on Facebook and kind of getting dodgy information or people are in strange WhatsApp groups that are kind of kind of spreading whispers um, like that. So it, it's a far more complicated information uh, landscape that we're living in now yeah yeah there's uh i mean you begin to see roots of that in in the, the final outbreak of the black death which was mm -hmm. in famously in 1665 that was five years after charles ii um had been recorded um and, and then you did have a world of like coffee houses and newspapers um mm -hmm. you know th there was a what historians call the public sphere you know, like the, the the bourgeois readership of these things, and and yeah. then literacy rates are going up. But but also these things were like read out and sung and performed, so they can transcend the literacy barriers. So by that stage, I think you did have competing ideas because it was a more scientific mm -hmm. world. It's you know it's, it's mm -hmm. the age of the scientific revolution, and um, they were very into statistics, which is is a big contrast actually. They actually had better figures than we do, um, at least in London, um, mm. in sixteen sixty five. Every wow. time someone died, they'd send out like a, a, an old woman called a um, searcher of the dead <laughs> and the examiner of the dead. These are women, and they didn't really wear those like uh, duck masks or anything like that, but they were just in cloaks and they'd go out, ascertain what had people died of. It not, it's not hard mm -hmm. to see if someone died of the plague. The tokens were fairly obvious. Um, <laughs> and these were compiled every week into the bills of mortality. And they're incredibly detailed that you can literally see in every single parish like St. Leonard's Shoreditch or St. Anne Soho wow. um, parishes how many people have died how many of plague and how many of other things and, and from that you can calculate the mortality rate whereas you know we, we don't have that because there's not much mm. testing going on. So something really struck me there so you said I, I, if, I, if I heard you right you said these searches of the dead were women um, um what is it, what do his why do historians think that this was a female role rather than a male one? Um, yeah, it tended to be old women. The, the female life expectancy was higher, so mm -hmm. by definition, uh, a higher proportion of old people were women. They were also people who had formerly been on poverty relief. The rates the church had to maintain you, um, and there would be the idea that because everyone was living through a crisis, these these old witch-like figures, is how they were seen, um, should earn their keep. And that meant uh. they had to go and, uh, <laughs> and do this unsavory task. They, they were often semi-drunk 
and they were highly drivable <laughs> because you didn't want to. If, if you were in a house and 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 this woman is like knocking on your door and she said, oh, "I'm sorry to hear the news, but like, what was it? Plague?" And be like, no, of course not. You don't want it to be marked as plague because then everyone in there gets locked up. Well, it, it is obviously plague. You can see the blotches on the skin. You can see the exploded bubes. But how about you put it down as rheumatism or rising of the lights, as they called pulmonary disease? And, and, and they would have just bribed her and given her alcohol and it would have been marked down differently. Wow. So, yeah, it, wow. it was a few months. Remember that? I mean, there was no NHS, there was no health service at all. Like they, they did uh-huh. have hospitals. Mm. They were houses of hospitality, usually for fairly wealthy people who were traveling. They did have leper colonies, but that was a bit of a different thing. Um, and so something else to you know maybe take comfort from is that certainly if, if we look at these earlier epidemics, they never actually stay in any one place for too long. Mm. Um, in China, cities are beginning to get back on their feet again. Uh, I think you're, you're beginning to see the, the stirrings of a relaxation of the lockdown, even in some European cities. And certainly with the Black Death, it never stayed anywhere for longer than four months. It would pass through and uh, mm. travel north. It would go up towards Scotland. Um, and th- then it fizzles out. It doesn't vanish completely, but it fizzles out. Um, so that's the good news. But then it, it does come back. Um, mm. came back quite regularly, about 18 times, I think, between 1348 and 1665. Wow. Uh, wow. But hopefully we will have better treatment, perhaps even a vaccine. And, and you know, we, we can see who's got it and who's had it and, and keep them away accordingly. So that that's something. In, in terms of the destruction, in the Middle Ages, the, the, the Black Death completely changed the economy. And because all mm. these, uh, the, the labour force began to demand higher wages, that was only so good for a while. Um, in the end, the landlords were just like, "Well, I'm not, I'm not up for this anymore. Like, let's just get rid of all the labourers and replace them with sheep." So, from the early 16th century, a bit before, you get all this writing about cannibalistic sheep mm-hmm. who are coming in, eating men and women and children. Now, that didn't happen literally. I mean, it's the kind of thing that they would have thought did happen literally at the time of the plague, but it was indirect. The, the, the landowners were saying, well, why should we pay higher wages to these laborers? It would be more economical if we just got rid of them, banished them, and turned you know, arable land into pastoral land. So it was out with the labor, in came the sheep. Um, and this led actually to, it was extraordinary, 7,000 villages vanished in that way. Um, wow. because of the indirect economic consequences of the Black Death. And you can still go and visit them. There's a really eerie one called Warren Percy in Yorkshire, just abandoned medieval villages. And so, so the pandemic actually was a huge influence on how the British Isles came to look topographically. Wow. Mm. Um, on the kind of economics thing, we're kind of seeing that there's going to be a whole sort of levelling of the economy now and it seems the biggest effect, if not on health, will be on people's livelihood or businesses, jobs, etc. Um, were there any measures then that people in power were trying to roll out to save themselves or um, ensure that they, they didn't lose everything? You know, you have quantitative easing now with people frantically printing money, central banks and stuff. But um, were there were there any sort of major moves then or was it just kind of total pandemonium? And- yeah, well, it's a, it's a very interesting question because... What we have at the minute is the economy is effectively on life support. Um, mm. 
you know, for, for those who can't work from home, most people, the government is paying 80% of their wages and even the self-employed as well, businesses have been given loans. There was absolutely nothing like that. You, you probably won't be very surprised to hear that. Um, in, not in the 14th century, not in the 17th century, um, the, the state was not seen as something that should intervene in the economy if it, if, if it at all could. So, you know, the state was there to provide justice, to defend the realm from invasion, uh, to protect the church, yeah. uh, and, you know, yes, to, to raise taxes, but there was nothing like income tax. That didn't come in until the Napoleonic wars. Um, so everyone was left to fend for themselves. Um, and there were horrific stories that you, you see in Samuel Pepys and Daniel Defoe of, you know, people can actually see to pregnant mothers and, and the baby will just be sucking from a fallow breast of the dead yeah. mother. And, and no one is allowed to go in. There's no sort of state support. But of course, the, there was neighborhood um, generosity. There was Christian charity. But that was very patchy. It wasn't like they supplemented everybody's wages. That that didn't happen at all. But what, what you did have, which I think we're going to see again, for sure, is inflation. That was a big problem after mm. the Black Death, because everyone demanding higher wages, they've got more money, they, they can buy stuff. So then everyone just puts the price of everything up. Um, so if you're using quantitative easing to fund most of the measures, then you're probably going to get a bit of inflation, mm. which is you know, good for people that owe money, but pretty terrible for everybody else. Mm. I think this like economic impact is it's it's very difficult to predict because especially today we've only seen so far really it being bad in China, which is authoritarian state um, that can institute measures very quickly and efficiently. How efficiently is debatable, but let's let's not get into that. Um, and in Europe, which has a very strong socialized healthcare system. Whereas the United States has neither of these, uh, neither of these things. It still remains to be seen how bad COVID is going to get there. But I, I, I was wondering if, uh, in many ways, the United States most resembles the kind of laissez-faire states of the kind of early uh, modern period in that they're they're very anti-government intervention, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I was wondering, so we, we, we talked a little bit about how uh, peasant wages rose and the kind of uh, medieval fashion industry was kind of created in the aftermath of the Black Death. But what were the kind of economic effects uh, of the kind of last great outbreak that uh, Defoe and Pepys lived through? Of, of the one that in 1665? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a, a lot less catastrophic um, because mm -hmm. that was that was a resurgence of it, it was like a shadow of of the horrific one that only killed I'd say only killed but it only killed about twenty percent of London's population mm -hmm. um, about hundred thousand people not fifty percent um, it didn't sweep through the whole of Europe in quite the same way so there were some parts of Britain that were relatively unaffected mm -hmm. and by that stage you've got a huge overseas trading empire. Um, and you've also got kind of stability for the first time in a long time, actually, mm -hmm. political stability in, in yeah. Britain. All, all, of, all of those confluence of factors means that um, it, it wasn't so much of a shock to the system. So the, apart from the death toll, um, you know, and, and a bit of people demanding higher wages just because of supply and demand, um, 
not not much. Um, but I, I agree with you about America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it is late. I mean, America has it does have good healthcare, but it's just not available to very many people. So yeah. they, they do have it, um, which they didn't have back in the day. Also with America, I, I think that, I don't know, attitudes do shift very suddenly. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, if if suddenly people are dying to the left of them, to the right of them, you know, suddenly ideology goes out of the window. I mean, who thought we would see, you know, like a, a conservative libertarian Tories nationalize um, yeah. the railways and um, pay people directly and end homelessness. And, you know, it, things do change. Um, yeah. I don't know. And, and also, I, I feel like in America, they've got the potential to, to distribute drugs quicker and equipment like like we have shortages they, they've got the capacity to make it quicker mm-hmm. um perhaps it's not quite that bleak but definitely mm-hmm. in terms of the lack of safety net it was very similar to here and the religion i suppose as, as well mm-hmm. i guess yeah yeah mm-hmm. so while of course the black death uh matt was an incredible sort of agent of change and destruction and a real kind of world historic event in the in the truest sense of the term and we we spoke a little bit earlier about how covid may change kind of what the political reality is afterwards there's lots of other things um happening concurrently um climate change is off the agenda for the moment but it is looming on the horizon in a very large way um and you know, warfare, you know, uh, the Syrian civil war has, uh, seems to be simmering down at the moment. Mm. Um, but again, we're not getting the news, really. And as I understand it, you've been recently looking into how these great uh, kind of agents of change, uh, world historic events, has changed uh, the landscape, specifically of um, Britain. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on yourself recently? So it's a, it's a book that sort of, tells the story of Britain's lost cities, ghost towns, and banished villages. Awesome. Uh, and it, because, you know, we're, the, the, there's very much like the, I hate to use the, the Govian term, but the, the Britain's island story. Um, <laughs> we, we know about you know, the Reformation and the Industrial Revolution, and we equate, you know, the passing of time with progress, for the most part, yeah. not always, but, but in, in the grand scheme of things. So I wanted to look at actually you know, the false starts and the dead ends and all the places that have had to be sacrificed, which have kind of fallen through the fingers um, of, of history, of time, manifesting themselves in um, quite a lot of unknown lost cities and ghost towns and banished villages. So uh, a pandemic, you know, the plague, about 7,000 villages, it only directly wiped out about 12, because, you know, as long as you still had fields and buildings and, you know, you could just go back off for most people are dying, but but there was that one. But but also all these other agencies which have laid places low. The main case study in the book um, is a place called Dunwich in Suffolk, which was a, a city, you know, a, a big medieval city. Uh, had you know, it could have grown into something resembling medieval London, um, but there were a series of storms in the middle of the night in um, the 13th and 14th century, which swept much of it off a cliff and precipitated this process of coastal erosion until all that was left was this one um, tower from All Saints Priory, mainly all that was left. Seabold writes about it memorably in The Rings of Saturn, um, and the rest of it is underwater. So I wanted to sort of bring that back from the past, but all across the lands, you know, like even later on, places like 
islands, Lake St Kilda, that were abandoned and, and ancient lost capitals of Wales, which are beneath the Forest of Dean, because they were once boom towns, and, and then they sort of fall out of like economic vogue. So that, that's the book, and, and there's a whole chapter, lots of grisly details about how the Black Death swept through Britain, and also its legacy and the kind of world that was left behind. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like an unusual history of Britain, I guess, with a, with a kind of travel element chucked in. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Can't wait for that. And uh, you've already written one book, London, A Travel Guide Through Time, right? Yeah, yeah. That's It's got a slightly mealy-mouthed title because it was meant to be called A Time Traveller's Guide to London, but some, believe it or not, someone has patented the words Time Traveller's Guide <laughs> <laughs> so you, And we got a very angry letter from him three weeks before publication. So, so yeah, it's basically, you're a time traveller, you go back, you're plunged in to London at six formative periods in its overall evolution, right from the Middle Ages through to the 1950s and 60s. One chapter is set in 1665. So it takes the form of a journey through the plague-struck city. Um, So if you want to know what it was like to live then with the dead cart men and all those plague pits and all the, the apothecaries and the wizards in the streets and the pest houses and the quarantine, maybe have a look. Yeah, you can you can order it through the shop. We'll put a link in the podcast. Yeah, awesome. Um, and yeah, hopefully, learning about past people's experiences might put things slightly in perspective for people who are very distressed at the moment. Well, I hope, yeah, I hope it will make them feel a bit better because yeah. it could all be a lot worse. That said, I was reading an article saying that it's just about within the realms of possibility that COVID nineteen could mutate into something a lot more deadly. Uh, no one would be spared um, and it would be like 50% so then we might have to revisit and say actually you know, this would be like nice sort of gentle escapism from an even worse disease yeah um, yeah yeah yeah. come back in six months uh... <laughs> yeah maybe maybe, maybe when what, the book one, comes one out one three of us will still be kicking <laughs> it would probably be Dan safe in Bedford yeah 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 the heavy smoker um <laughs> uh well on that cheerful note i think we will round off and say thank you so much to dr matt green for coming on the show um that was super informative we'll we'll catch up over uh, an ale when all this is blown over i'm sure yeah a socially distanced ale yeah at least two meters it's going to be good good to fight off covid or bad i've read different you know, I read that wine would actually it would boost your immune system against it. Maybe red wine then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we <laughs> we could be well fortified. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Matt. Thanks for coming okay, on the thanks show. A lot. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Everybody had gathered on the green to hear him. His arrival was announced by a troop of vile minstrels. They bellowed and roared, crashed cymbals and recited psalms in demented, dirge-like tones. From their midst arose a deep but hollow voice, a voice that filled the air with dread, at once terrified and terrifying, invading his congregants' ears and holding them wrapped. Soon, the minstrels prostrated themselves on the wet earth and a tall, thin man stepped forwards. 
He had sickly white skin and glassy blue eyes that darted back and forth like baby tadpoles before suddenly settling on someone. A neatly trimmed beard and a veil of oily jet black hair swept behind his shoulders with a solitary streak of grey. His voice was scarred, but his face was scarred by the thickest slug-like eyebrows anyone had ever seen. He wore a scarlet gown which billowed around his bony shoulders and whispered around his bare muddied feet. He shivered and moaned, flailed his his limbs madly, and throughout his sermon he wiggled his fingers all over his body as though trying to get rid of a swarm of invisible bees. It is coming, he told them, soon. Soon it will be in all your houses. He suddenly started yelling, let the sharp arrows of sudden death have dominion throughout the world. Clutching wildly now at the invisible bees, let the innocent perish with the guilty, pointing now at the children, and none escape. He went on to paint a gruesome picture of the fall of earth, of cities laid low, palaces crashing into the sea, people tumbling into the jaws of the earth. Entire realms would be washed away with churches exploding in flames of flammable blood, babies born to the pit still alive, and lobsters boring their way out of women's wombs. There'll be double-headed dogs, strangulation squads, angels battling demons in the sky, the whole wide world lying down to die, and forever the ravens circling on high. And it was on their wings that the Antichrist would descend. Then the wind would howl, the moon explode, and the stars fall from the sky, incinerating the earth in a magnificent fireball. In the darkness, all motions would cease, save the gentle simmering of the sea and the fanning of the devil's breath across a desert of infinite ruin. But all this, he assured them, was just a foretaste of what they could expect down below. Pointing now, you could see the bone in his finger, at members of the congregation, he dished out a menu of atrocity. You, he said, will be flayed alive and forced to eat your own skin. You, soaksman, will be hung from a hook by your tongue. You, glutton, will be forced to dive into a barrel of swivelling eyes and eat your way out. You, peddler, will be tied to four chariots and dismembered, reducing you to a nugget of sin, then to be pierced by a thousand javelins of fire. And you, reaper, will be fed to a giant fish with knives for teeth. And rightly so, for you are all besmirched by sin. You are disgusting, unclean, fit only for agony. Everyone else, he went on, would be melted down into a lake of molten flesh, in which everybody's pain would be pooled and enhanced. Remember, the fires of hell are nine times hotter than anything found on this earth. In time, you will rematerialize and regenerate so that you can suffer the next term of torment. You will weep more than all the water on earth. Do not beg, do not give alms, do not go on procession. Nothing will save you. God's mind cannot be changed. He is infinite. You are infinitesimal. Soon it will be in your houses. With this, he left, trailed by his minstrels. He had another congregation in the next village to terrify, and he was facing such stark competition these days. Well, on that note, on that mad preacher's rambling note, um, we're going to round off the show. Um, Once again, thanks so much to Matt for coming on. Mm. It got pretty deep. Uh, (laughs) It was a hailstorm of uh, information. Yeah, no, but that's how we like it. And yeah, it it does kind of put things into a weird perspective when you realise that, you know, villages were wiped out. It would either have been you or me back then, so yeah. one of us wouldn't be talking right now. 
<laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, I was about to say at least we don't have plague pits now, although I was looking at the news this morning and they have built just such a thing in New York City. Oh. So is that um, where the word um the pits comes from? No, no, that's like the mines, isn't it? Up no, no, but this down the pit. pits. Oh. oh yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Well, um yeah, if any of you know the answer to this question, podcast at burlyfisherbooks.com. <laughs> um please email me. I am getting more and more strange here. I've stopped wearing clothes <laughs> by and large. That's kind of like weird etchings on the walls. Serial bulbs um, stacked to the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Please email us, please. <laughs> right, so we've got some cool stuff coming up. A few episodes which are going to focus on international literary communities. Um, we have uh, some other stuff that I can't remember. Uh, it's going to be good, though. It's all going to be good. And you should keep listening because... Um, those listener numbers are the only thing keeping me sane and alive in these dark and strange times. On a quick side note of our author, his Matt Green's book is entitled um, oh, yeah. Shadowlands, I think, and is out 2021, probably March time, depending on plague um, severity um, yeah. on Faber yeah. and Faber books, which I should say is just awesome. Faber now. Sorry. Is it just Faber? Have they, have they cut? The other Faber. Yeah, they cut, they cut, they, they rebranded. Oh, wow. I, I think Faber number two must be feeling pretty, pretty, pretty let yeah. down. Well, we'll have to talk to them about that. <laughs> Summon his ghost or her ghost from uh, Highgate Cemetery. Yeah. Um, right, on that note, peace out, everyone. Look after yourselves. Don't go outside. Stay indoors and order books. Order books. Order some God damn books. Peace. Burley Fisher's Isolation Station was brought to you by the team at Burley Fisher Books. Your hosts today were Dan Fuller and Anna Hurley, joined by Dr. Matt Green. This show was produced by Dan Fuller, with music also by Anne Hurley and was made possible by you lot and also the technology. So big shout out to Audacity, Discord and Craig the Bot. Love you all. Peace.